Crime and Punishment by Fyodor Dostoevsky Part 2, Chapter 1, Continued That's not our business. Here, an IOU for 115 rubles, legally attested and due for payment, has been brought us for recovery, given by you to the widow of the assessor Zarnitsyn nine months ago, and paid over by the widow Zarnitsyn to one Mr. Chabarov. We therefore summon you hereupon. But she is my landlady. And what if she is your landlady? The head clerk looked at him with a condescending smile of compassion, and at the same time with a certain triumph, as at a novice under fire for the first time, as though he would say, Well, how do you feel now? But what did he care now for an I.O.U., for a writ of recovery? Was that worth worrying about now? Was it worth attention, even? He stood, he read, he listened, he answered. He even asked questions himself, but all mechanically. The triumphant sense of security, of deliverance from overwhelming danger, that was what filled his whole soul that moment, without thought for the future, without analysis, without suppositions or surmises, without doubts and without questioning. It was an instant of full, direct, purely instinctive joy. But at that very moment, something like a thunderstorm took place in the office. The assistant superintendent, still shaken by Raskolnikov's disrespect, still fuming and obviously anxious to keep up his wounded dignity, pounced on the unfortunate smart lady who had been gazing at him ever since he came in with an exceedingly silly smile. "'You shameful hussy!' he shouted suddenly at the top of his voice. The lady in mourning had left the office. "'What was going on at your house last night, eh? A disgrace again. You're a scandal to the whole street.' fighting and drinking again. Do you want the house of correction? Why, I have warned you ten times over that I would not let you off the eleventh. And here you are again. Again. You. You. The paper fell out of Raskolnikov's hands, and he looked wildly at the smart lady who was so unceremoniously treated. But he soon saw what it meant, and at once began to find positive amusement in the scandal. He listened with pleasure, so that he longed to laugh and laugh. All his nerves were on edge. Ilya Petrovitch, the head clerk was beginning anxiously, but stopped short, for he knew from experience that the enraged assistant could not be stopped except by force. As for the smart lady, at first she positively trembled before the storm. But strange to say, the more numerous and violent the terms of abuse became, the more amiable she looked, and the more seductive the smile she lavished on the terrible assistant. She moved uneasily and curtsied incessantly, waiting impatiently for a chance of putting in her word, and at last she found it. There was no sort of noise or fighting in my house, Mr. Captain, she pattered all at once, like peas dropping speaking Russian confidently, though with a strong German accent. And no sort of scandal. And his honor came drunk. And it's the whole truth I am telling, Mr. Captain, and I am not to blame. Mine is an honorable house, Mr. Captain, 
and honorable behavior, Mr. Captain, and I always, always dislike any scandal myself. But he came quite tipsy, and asked for three bottles again, and then he lifted up one leg, and began playing the pianoforte with one foot, and that is not at all right in an honorable house. And he gons broke the piano, and it was very bad manners indeed, and I said so. And he took up a bottle, and began hitting everyone with it. And then I called the porter, and Carl came, and he took Carl and hit him in the eye, and he hit Henriette in the eye too, and gave me five slaps on the cheek. And it was so ungentlemanly in an honorable house, Mr. Captain, and I screamed. And he opened the window over the canal, and stood in the window, squealing like a little pig. It was a disgrace. The idea of squealing like a little pig at the window into the street. Fie upon him. And Carl pulled him away from the window by his coat. And it is true, Mr. Captain. He tore sein Rock. And then he shouted that man must pay him fifteen rubles damages. And I did pay him, Mr. Captain, five rubles for sein Rock. And he is an ungentlemanly visitor and caused all the scandal. I will show you up, he said, for I can write to all the papers about you. Then he was an author. Yes, Mr. Captain, and what an ungentlemanly visitor in an honorable house. Now then, enough. I have told you already. Ilya Petrovich, the head clerk repeated significantly. The assistant glanced rapidly at him. The head clerk slightly shook his head. So I tell you this, most respectable Louise Ivanovna, and I tell it you for the last time, the assistant went on. If there is a scandal in your honorable house once again, I will put you yourself in the lockup, as it is called in polite society. Do you hear? So a literary man, an author, took five rubles for his coattail in an honorable house. A nice set, these authors and he cast a contemptuous glance at Raskolnikov. There was a scandal the other day in a restaurant, too. An author had eaten his dinner and would not pay. I'll write a satire on you, says he. And there was another of them on a steamer last week, used the most disgraceful language to the respectable family of a civil counselor, his wife and daughter. And there was one of them turned out of a confectioner's shop the other day. They are like that, authors literary men, students, town criers. Foo! You get along. I shall look in upon you myself one day. Then you had better be careful. With hurried deference, Louise Ivanovna fell to curtsying in all directions, and so curtsied herself to the door. But at the door she stumbled backwards against a good-looking officer with a fresh open face and splendid, thick, fair whiskers. This was the superintendent of the district himself, Nikodim Famich. Louise Ivanovna made haste to curtsy almost to the ground, and with mincing little steps she fluttered out of the office. Again thunder and lightning, a hurricane, said Nikodim Famich to Ilya Petrovich in a civil and friendly tone. You are aroused again, you are fuming again. I heard it on the stairs. Well, what then? Ilya Petrovitch drawled, with gentlemanly nonchalance. 
and he walked with some papers to another table, with a jaunty swing of his shoulders at each step. Here, if you will kindly look, an author, or a student, has been one at least, does not pay his debts, has given an IOU, won't clear out of his room, and complaints are constantly being lodged against him. And here he has been pleased to make a protest against my smoking in his presence. He behaves like a cad himself. And just look at him, please. Here's the gentleman, and very attractive he is. Poverty is not a vice, my friend. But we know you go off like powder, and you can't bear a slight. I dare say you took offense at something and went too far yourself, continued Nikodim Famich, turning affably to Raskolnikov. But you were wrong there. He is a capital fellow, I assure you, but explosive, explosive. He gets hot, fires up, boils over, and no stopping him. And then it's all over. And at the bottom, he's a heart of gold. His nickname in the regiment was the Explosive Lieutenant. And what a regiment it was, too, cried Ilya Petrovich, much gratified at this agreeable banter, though still sulky. Raskolnikov had a sudden desire to say something exceptionally pleasant to them all. Excuse me, Captain, he began easily, suddenly addressing Nikodim Famich. Will you enter into my position? I am ready to ask pardon if I have been ill-mannered. I am a poor student, sick and shattered. Shattered was the word he used. By poverty. I am not studying, because I cannot keep myself now. But I shall get money. I have a mother and sister in the province of X. They will send it me, and I will pay. My landlady is a good-hearted woman, but she is so exasperated at my having lost my lessons and not paying her for the last four months that she does not even send up my dinner. And I don't understand this IOU at all. She is asking me to pay her on this IOU. How am I to pay her? Judge for yourselves. But that is not our business, you know, the head clerk was observing. Yes, yes, I perfectly agree with you. But allow me to explain. Raskolnikov put in again, still addressing Nikodim Famich, but trying his best to address Ilya Petrovich also, though the latter persistently appeared to be rummaging among his papers and to be contemptuously oblivious of him. Allow me to explain that I have been living with her for nearly three years, and at first, at first, for why should I not confess it, at the very beginning I promised to marry her daughter. It was a verbal promise, freely given, she was a girl. Indeed, I liked her, though I was not in love with her. A youthful affair, in fact. That is, I mean to say, that my landlady gave me credit freely in those days, and I led a life of—I was very heedless. Nobody asks you for these personal details, sir. We've no time to waste, Ilya Petrovich interposed roughly, and with a note of triumph but Raskolnikov stopped him hotly, though he suddenly found it exceedingly difficult to speak. But excuse me, excuse me, it is for me to explain how it all happened. In my turn, though I agree with you, it is unnecessary. But a year ago, the girl died of typhus. I remained lodging there as before, 
and when my landlady moved into her present quarters, she said to me, and in a friendly way, that she had complete trust in me. But still, would I not give her an IOU for 115 rubles, all the debt I owed her? She said if only I gave her that, she would trust me again, as much as I liked, and that she would never, never, those were her own words, make use of that IOU till I could pay of myself. And now, when I have lost my lessons and have nothing to eat, she takes action against me. What am I to say to that? All these affecting details are no business of ours, Ilya Petrovitch interrupted rudely. You must give a written undertaking. But as for your love affairs and all these tragic events, we have nothing to do with that. Come now, you are harsh, muttered Nikodim Famich, sitting down at the table and also beginning to write. He looked a little ashamed. Write, said the head clerk to Raskolnikov. Write what? the latter asked gruffly. I will dictate to you. Raskolnikov fancied that the head clerk treated him more casually and contemptuously after his speech. But strange to say, he suddenly felt completely indifferent to anyone's opinion, and this revulsion took place in a flash, in one instant. If he had cared to think a little, he would have been amazed indeed that he could have talked to them like that a minute before, forcing his feelings upon them. And where had those feelings come from? Now, if the whole room had been filled, not with police officers, but with those nearest and dearest to him, he would not have found one human word for them, so empty was his heart. A gloomy sensation of agonizing, everlasting solitude and remoteness took conscious form in his soul. It was not the meanness of his sentimental effusions before Ilya Petrovitch, nor the meanness of the latter's triumph over him that had caused this sudden revulsion in his heart. Oh, what had he to do now with his own baseness, with all these petty vanities, officers, German women, debts, police offices? If he had been sentenced to be burnt at that moment, he would not have stirred, would hardly have heard the sentence to the end. Something was happening to him entirely new, sudden, and unknown. It was not that he understood— but he felt clearly, with all the intensity of sensation, that he could never more appeal to these people in the police office with sentimental effusions like his recent outburst, or with anything, whatever. And that if they had been his own brothers and sisters, and not police officers, it would have been utterly out of the question to appeal to them in any circumstance of life." he had never experienced such a strange and awful sensation. And what was most agonizing? It was more a sensation than a conception or idea, a direct sensation, the most agonizing of all the sensations he had known in his life. The head clerk began dictating to him the usual form of declaration, that he could not pay, that he undertook to do so at a future date, that he would not leave the town, nor sell his property, and so on. "'But you can't write. You can hardly hold the pen,' observed the head clerk, 
looking with curiosity at Raskolnikov. Are you ill? Yes, I am giddy. Go on. That's all. Sign it. The head clerk took the paper and turned to attend to others. Raskolnikov gave back the pen, but instead of getting up and going away, he put his elbows on the table and pressed his head in his hands. He felt as if a nail were being driven into his skull. A strange idea suddenly occurred to him, to get up at once, to go up to Nikodim Famich and tell him everything that had happened yesterday, and then to go with him to his lodgings and to show him the things in the hole in the corner. The impulse was so strong that he got up from his seat to carry it out. Hadn't I better think a minute? flashed through his mind. No, better cast off the burden without thinking. But all at once he stood still, rooted to the spot. Nikodim Famich was talking eagerly with Ilya Petrovich, and the words reached him. It's impossible. They'll both be released. To begin with, the whole story contradicts itself. Why should they have called the porter, if it had been their doing? To inform against themselves? Or as a blind? No, that would be too cunning. Besides, Pistrikov, the student, was seen at the gate by both the porters and a woman as he went in. He was walking with three friends, who left him only at the gate, and he asked the porters to direct him in the presence of the friends. Now, would he have asked his way if he had been going with such an object? As for Koch, he spent half an hour at the silversmith's below, before he went up to the old woman, and he left him at exactly a quarter to eight. Now just consider. But excuse me, how do you explain this contradiction? They state themselves that they knocked and the door was locked. Yet three minutes later, when they went up with the porter, it turned out the door was unfastened. That's just it. The murderer must have been there and bolted himself in, and they'd have caught him for a certainty if Koch had not been an ass and gone to look for the porter, too. He must have seized the interval to get downstairs and slip by them somehow. Koch keeps crossing himself and saying, If I had been there, he would have jumped out and killed me with his axe. He is going to have a Thanksgiving service. Ha ha! And no one saw the murderer? They might well not see him. The house is a regular Noah's Ark, said the head clerk, who was listening. It's clear, quite clear, Nikodim Famich repeated warmly. No, it is anything but clear, Ilya Petrovich maintained. Raskolnikov picked up his hat and walked towards the door, but he did not reach it. When he recovered consciousness, he found himself sitting in a chair, supported by someone on the right side, while someone else was standing on the left, holding a yellowish glass filled with yellow water, and Nikodim Famich standing before him, looking intently at him. He got up from the chair. "'What's this? Are you ill?' Nikodim Famich asked sharply. "'He could hardly hold his pen when he was signing,' said the head clerk, settling back in his place and taking up his work again. "'Have you been ill long?' cried Ilya Petrovich from his place, where he too was looking through papers. He had, of course, come to look at the sick man when he fainted, but retired at once when he recovered. 
since yesterday,' muttered Raskolnikov in reply. "'Did you go out yesterday?' "'Yes. "'Though you were ill?' "'Yes. "'At what time?' "'About seven. "'And where did you go, may I ask?' "'Along the street. "'Short and clear.' Raskolnikov, white as a handkerchief, had answered sharply, jerkily, without dropping his feverish eyes before Ilya Petrovitch's stare. "'He can scarcely stand upright. "'And you,' Nikodim Famich was beginning. "'No matter,' Ilya Petrovitch pronounced rather peculiarly. Nikodim Famich would have made some further protest, but glancing at the head clerk, who was looking very hard at him, he did not speak. There was a sudden silence. It was strange. "'Very well, then,' concluded Ilya Petrovitch. "'We will not detain you.' Raskolnikov went out. He caught the sound of eager conversation on his departure, and above the rest rose the questioning voice of Nikodim Famich. In the street, his faintness passed off completely. "'A search. There will be a search at once,' he repeated to himself, hurrying home. "'The brutes. They suspect.' His former terror mastered him completely again.' 